Wednesday, March 29th at 12.04 p.m. here on the East Coast, and welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent with Thoroughbred Daily News, also co-host Down the Stretch Show every Saturday morning on Sirius XM Radio. How's it going, guys? I'm Randy Moss with uh, NBC Sports, just back from our uh, telecast of the, what was it, Louisiana Derby and Jeff Ruby, and getting ready now for the Florida Derby. Zoe Cabman here with First Racing and XBTV, as well as Santa Anita. I'm back from OBS sales, and lo and behold, I'm right next to Santa Anita, and it's raining. Go figure. It's <laughs> still raining in Southern California. I mean, drought be damned. I, I don't want to hear the word drought or fire for probably at least six months. <laughs> yeah, th- this needs to stop. Uh, it, it's getting ridiculous. You poor people out in Southern California. All right, plenty to uh, talk about on this week's show. Let's take a look back first at the, the big races of last weekend. We'll start with the Louisiana Derby. And uh, we have Todd Pletcher coming up a little bit later on the show as the uh, guest of the week, the Green Group guest of the week. And he's going to talk about Kings Barnes, the winner. Looked good, winning by three and a half lengths. I guess the knock on him, Randy, is that everything went his own way. Uh, he got to the lead 24 and 3, 49 and 3, 114 and 3. It was a smart move by Flavian Pratt and Todd Fletcher. As we, we talked about on the show last week, there was very little speed in the race. On paper, it looked like somebody could steal a race. Randy, I think you predicted he would go to the lead. Well done on that. Uh, so he's able to draw off and win by three and a half lengths, uh, certainly moves forward now and is going to be a factor in the Kentucky Derby. Um, I'm just not quite sure what to make of the race because of the drought. I don't think anybody's quite sure what to make of the race, Bill. Uh, it's one of those really odd dirt routes among three-year-old preps where the final half mile was run faster than the first half mile. You almost never see that. In American racing, going two turns on dirt, especially among three-year-olds in these prep races. He was visually impressive, as you pointed out. He's only had three lifetime starts. Uh, it's not that he's a horse that's a need-the-lead type, because he's proven that he's not. Uh, so you can't completely discount him in the Kentucky Derby in projecting that he'll be sitting a little bit off the pace. Uh, but he's just one of these horses that, from a betting standpoint, uh, you take a stand against when he goes to the Kentucky Derby because his signature win is a race in which he had everything his own way. Um, a lot of the UK guys on the Dubai World Cup telecast were raving about the ride of Christophe Lamar uh, on that uh, on that Japanese uh, Japanese freak that won the Dubai Shima. Well, Flavian Pratt's ride was a heck of a lot better than Christophe Lemaire's because he put Kings Barnes on the lead by riding him aggressively the first part of the race. Um, And talking to Steve Asmussen before the Louisiana Derby, I know that the plan was for Shopper's Revenge to go for the lead from post position number one. I was a little puzzled in the way Ricardo Santana, who I'm a fan of, uh, just literally broke the horse's jaw going into the first turn to wrestle him back off of Kings Barnes, which enabled Kings Barnes to pretty much 
walk uncontested on the front end. So it did turn out to be even a slower pace than I think we had expected. Uh, hey, he's not without a chance. He's improving, but it's very difficult, as you pointed out, to be able to know what to make of him. Zoe, what do you think? Visually impressive. Uh, I mean, if you're not going by numbers or times, the horse looked phenomenal. Now, if he did broke the track record doing it like that, we'd have been like, oh my God, this is the next coming. But he didn't. I mean, it was, <clears throat> what do they say, like the <clears throat> fourth slowest running or something. It, it was very slow. Flavian did his job. It's not his fault that no one wanted the lead. He walked the dog on the front end like he's been allowed to do many times before. And the horse showed a really nice finishing kick down the lane. And, and I love the fact that the last half was run quicker than the first half. Just shows you what an excellent ride Flavian gave that horse. Um, I mean, the runner-up, this arm, pretty nice horse. But I mean, what do you do with the horses below there? Jason's Road, all these guys are going to make it into the field should they want to go. But I, I did like King's Barnes. I liked what Todd Pletcher had to say about him. The fact that he thought his best race was his first ever race. We'll listen to that a little bit later, but I think there's more in the tank, which is what I like, and that's exactly what I'm going to take moving forward. You brought up disarm. I'm glad you did. Uh, given the way the pace scenario uh, was, uh, you know, was laid out there, I, I thought he ran an, an exceptional race to finish second, especially given what Asmussen had told me uh, the day before the Louisiana Derby. Steve said that when disarm ran his first race back off of the layoff at Oakland in an allowance race, that he was nowhere near 100% fit. He said he's a big, heavy horse, and if they had any chance to get him in the Kentucky Derby, they had to make one of these 100-point prep races. And to do that, they had to run him in that allowance spot on that day. And he thought he ran really well to finish second, given his fitness level. But then, interestingly, he said the horse is still not going to be 100% for the Louisiana Derby. And if somehow he can manage to finish first or second, he said, I'll tell you what, he's going to be a legitimate horse when we get to Louisville. And he did just that, ran really well, uh, given the pace scenario. He did have a rail trip, but ran really well to finish second. Couple other notes and newsworthy uh, items from the day. Um, the disappointment, obviously, in the Louisiana Derby was instant coffee. Finished six. Brad Cox said, "You know, how could you make up ground uh, into that pace?" Uh, he's got a good point there, but the horse just didn't fire, if you ask me. Then the Fairgrounds Oaks was won by South Want, so we may have a father versus son battle in the Kentucky Oaks with Wonder Wheel for uh, Mark Cassie against South Juan and Norm Cassie. And who's your filly again? Boy, I, I just, I shake my head. What hap has happened to this filly? She's even worse this time than she was in the Rachel Alexander. She was fourth, beaten 15 and a quarter lengths as a six to five favorite. And uh, boy, she just hasn't uh, developed or, or yeah. shown a thing this year. Can we go back to the running time for a second of the Louisiana sure. Derby that Zoe mentioned? Uh, it's kind of controversial among, among horse players uh, when speed figure purveyors do this sort of thing, but it's, it's really... Uh, necessary. The, the pace was so slow, so slow, as to make the final time of the Louisiana Derby basically irrelevant. Because when you get to a certain point and the pace is that slow, there's no way horses like that can go fast enough to make up the difference in the last part of the race and have a decent time. So what speed figure guys and all speed figure makers do this, what we have to do is, is just treat that race as an aberration 
and essentially manufacture a speed figure for that one race that's completely independent of the track variant for the other races. Um, I came up with a 95 buyer speed figure for Kings Barnes based on based only on the performances of the horses behind him, what they'd been running, what kind of trips they got. You know, and, and a lot of people think that we shouldn't do that, that no speed figure maker should do that, that the time is the time, fast pace or slow pace. But it, it you know, it, I think and most of us think that it's just a necessity. Otherwise, the figs in these slow pace races would be uh, unusually slow and it would be confusing to horse players. So let's turn our attention now to Turfway Park, where the big race of the day was the Jeff Ruby Stakes, won by two fills. Got a 101 buyer in there. And again, he looked really good. Obviously, the competition of that race is not the, the, the best when it comes to derby preps. Randy, just as I posed some questions about Kings Barn, my uh, question about two fills was how much of that uh, performance maybe have to do with he, he liked the synthetic track? I mean, he was running well before this, but never showed uh, this kind of, of uh, ability. His uh, previous best buyer was an 88 coming in. He was second in a couple of races. He was right there, but, you know, didn't show that kind of dominance. Um, so I think it could be one of two things. Three-year-olds this time of year develop very rapidly, and some make these quantum leaps. It could be that, or it could be that he just loved the synthetic surface. We don't know. We'll find out in the Kentucky Derby Day. Larry Ravelli is an interesting story. He wins a zillion races on the Chicago circuit, but uh, hasn't had a lot of uh, chances with high-caliber horses. And you got to love the blue-collar angle. He's going to train. He's training for the Kentucky Derby at Hawthorne. It doesn't get more blue collar than that. He's always smiles. And she's won a zillion races at Hawthorne as a jockey in her career. <laughs> I think it's really cool and it's refreshing. I, I love this angle. First, two fills is a good horse. And I can say that wholeheartedly because I know that Randy has talked about two fills before. So I'm not alone here. Um, he's run eight times. How many horses on the Derby train have already run eight times? He's won four of eight. So that's refreshing. A horse who likes to win races, who's not been mollycoddled. He's been led to every dance. Larry Ravelli simply said if he gets beat, he'll blame himself. He was sure he would like the poly track, and he most certainly did. And to see Larry Ravelli get to the Kentucky Derby would be awesome, especially for someone like me who I'm not going to say I watched Larry grow up because God knows that would be aging myself, and I don't want <laughs> to do that. But um I can remember when Larry first came to the track at Arlington Park. He is Jimmy DeVito's nephew. And he showed up and he had white socks on and black sandals and a pair of shorts. And he was sitting outside Jimmy's office. I went over there to work a horse. I'm like, who's this guy with the slick black hair? He's like, oh, that's my nephew, Larry. He wants to be a trainer. He's like the leading car salesman in the whole of Illinois. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, good luck with that. And lo and behold... I mean, that was in probably 2000. And lo and behold, here we are. I think it's a great story. Larry's a great guy. And uh, he'll bring a little bit of zest. And at the end of the day, it's all about the stories. And this will be a great story to follow because he's got a tale to tell. Yeah, I mean, analytically, as Bill pointed out, it's either A or B. It's either the three-year-old improvement or it's synthetic. And we don't know. And Larry Ravelli doesn't know. And Jareth Loveberry doesn't know. Nobody knows exactly what it is. And we won't know until we get to about the quarter pole of the Kentucky Derby. I I think he's a hell of a trainer. He just hasn't had the opportunity with a horse like this before. And I thought it was an inspired choice 
to go from the fairgrounds to Turfway Park for a couple of reasons. First of all, in those races at the fairgrounds, he was running really well, but he would make a big move. He would get to the lead like he did. I believe it was in LeCompte, get to the lead at the eighth pole. And then he just wasn't finishing up that strongly the last eighth of a mile, the last sixteenth of a mile over a, you know, one of the longest stretch runs in American dirt racing, the second longest at the fairgrounds. Uh, you got the impression watching him that maybe a mile and an eighth was just a little bit beyond his preferred distance. So what does Ravelli do? He goes to a racetrack with a shorter stretch run in Turfway Park, and he goes to a track with a synthetic surface where horses get better traction, a little similar to turf. We've talked about that before, in which horses can tend occasionally, because they get better traction and they're not slogging through sand, to outrun their distance capabilities just a bit. And I think that's what we saw uh, with two fills. Um, he's by hard spun, who won this race when it was on synthetic in 2007, the second running on synthetic. His maternal grandsire is General Quarters, who won the bluegrass when it was run on synthetic. So the horse had some synthetic breeding. Look, I loved his race, loved the fig, but you can't like every horse in the Kentucky Derby. You got to take a stand. I think he's going to run well in the Kentucky Derby. I think he'll make his presence felt. But I just think that when it gets to the last eighth of a mile in the mile and a quarter race on dirt, that he's going to be found just a little bit uh, wanting stamina wise. So one of the themes of this segment is three-year-old winners, but what do you make of them? And here's the other one, the UAE Derby. German Sotogaki, uh, the Japanese, yeah. my goodness, what don't they win? Uh, the way they are just taking the world by world of horse racing by storm. Um, he looked really good winning the UAE Derby by five and a half lengths. I know it's, it's you can't really compare this. It's not exactly apples to apples, but... His time was 155.81 for the mile and three sixteenths. The Louisiana Derby was one uh, minute 57.33. So he ran, that, that, I think what they tell you, it was a legitimate fast race. He looks good. The Japanese are winning everything in sight. But, and here's the but on this horse, the UAE Derby has produced nothing but duds over the year coming into the Kentucky Derby. Um, Brad Free, I believe it was. I'm, I'm getting these numbers from him, but it was from the Daily Racing Forum. 18 Dubai shippers have run in the Derby. Not a single one has hit the board. Randy, you, you know all these stats. You could probably confirm that. Um, and we look at Mendelssohn, who uh, everybody thought was a very strong horse. It was a very good horse. Turned out to be a good sire. He won in 2018. He finished last. Last year, Crown Pride won the UAE Derby for Japan. Came into the Kentucky Derby and finished 13th. So, again, I'm just sort of scratching my head. Did this horse really look good? I, on this one, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually won the Kentucky Derby. That's how good he looked. I thought, Randy. Can we do a half hour on this race alone? <laughs> There's so freaking much to talk about, about this horse in this race. First of all, let's go to the mile and 316. You're right. Apples, it's apples to oranges to compare uh, the, the running time in Maidan with the running time in the Louisiana Derby, especially given the pace of the Louisiana Derby. But what you can compare is the running time of the UAE Derby to the running time of the Dubai World Cup on the same card. As any speed handicapper knows, there's a such thing as a parallel time chart that is the basis for all speed handicapping, whether it's buyer speed figures, thoroughgraph ragas, and you name it. And it enables you to accurately compare running times at different distances. And in this case, there's only a 16th of a mile difference between the UAE Derby and the Dubai World Cup. 
Now, you can go back a dozen years on Dubai World Cup Day at Maidan. And in every one of those years, the raw figure for the Dubai World Cup is faster than the raw figure for the UAE Derby, usually by a factor of 15 to 20 points faster. Our estimate, and this is an estimate for buyer speed figures, right? We don't make buyer speed figures for uh, for the Dubai World Cup day, but we can kind of guesstimate based on the performance of American horses. Normally, the Dubai World Cup would be 105 to 110 estimated number. Normally, the UAE Derby anywhere from 90 to 95. Even when Mendelssohn won by 18 and a half links in 2018, uh, the the Thunder Snow figure for the Dubai World Cup was five points faster. Okay, in this case, in this case, Derma Sodagake was the first horse in the last 15 years to run faster than the Dubai World Cup, five full points faster on the buyer scale. Now, what does that mean? We don't know how fast the horses in the Dubai World Cup ran because we don't know those Japanese horses. We don't know, you know, we don't have any background on their numbers or anything like that. But even if you lowball the Dubai World Cup and you say, okay, it was run in 99, all right, that's still a 104 estimated buyer speed figure for Derma Sotagake, which blows away anything we've seen so far from the Colts. Now, what does this mean when you're trying to translate UAE Derby form to, you know, to the Kentucky Derby? Yeah, it's 0 for 18 uh, with no horses running first, second, third, or even fourth. The fact that no UAE Derby winner has won or horse has won the Kentucky Derby is not that surprising given their odds. When you look at their odds and you do the mathematics, there's only a, about a 62% chance to get even one winner out of those 18. But the fact that none of them have even run in the top four is pretty alarming. We can talk about, you know, uh, Master Fencer, who came from Japan a few years ago and actually ran really well in the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. Uh, he was only beaten two and three quarters lengths in the Preakness, and he wasn't even one of Japan's better three-year-olds. This horse ran a hell of a race. I, I don't know what to make of him in the Kentucky Derby, but I wouldn't be surprised either if he runs exceptionally well. Yeah, he he was pretty awesome. He's is he by is he the one that's by Mind Your Bis Biscuits? Yes, yeah, yes. And, and I mean, what a story that is too. I mean, you got the two time Dubai Golden Shaheen, who's got one of the best crosses in history, to the Sunday Silence line over there. There's a great article by Emma Barry in today's TDN, and the. I don't think we're going to be able to touch the Japanese. I mean, they had three wins on the night. They had three in Saudi. They're just coming in droves with the world's best bred horses. And every November, they take another lorry load of horses from the U.S. back to Japan after the FASIG and the uh, Keelan November sales. So, I mean, these guys are going to be a force to be reckoned with when you look at uh, – Yusuba Tassaro, who won the Dubai World Cup, and then Equinox. I mean, I'm sorry, we have to mention Equinox, who was, yeah. to me, the most stunning winner of the night. And, guys, I'm not sure if you've seen the GoPro video of him blowing out a few days prior. It was phenomenal, and I'm urging Patty to find it and show it because you can just see this horse drop down and finish so quickly. He, That's probably the best performance I've seen of the year by any horse anywhere mm -hmm. was Equinox. And the fact that yeah. they're not going to the ARC, they're pointing to the Breeders' Cup, is even more amazing. Yeah, it, look, 
You know what one of my biggest concerns is about Derma Sotogaki in the Derby? And I know he's a, he's a great rider. Uh, Christophe Lemaire. When you, when you look at Crown Pride last year in the Kentucky Derby, and we see this with Ryan Moore a lot of times too. When some of these foreign jockeys come to the United States and ride on dirt, and especially in the Kentucky Derby, you can tell in their minds, it's like, oh my gosh, speed, speed, speed. I got to go. I got to go. And Christophe Lemaire rode the hair off of Crown Pride in the first quarter of a mile of the Kentucky Derby into one of the fastest Kentucky Derby paces in history. It's amazing the horse ran as well as he did, given the way he was ridden. And now here you get Derma Sotogake coming off of a wire-to-wire win, which he had never done before, in the UAE Derby and coming into Kentucky. I can just see Lemaire in the first quarter of a mile, you know, riding like a like Jackie Martin in a quarter horse race going into the first <laughs> Yeah, that's one of my biggest concerns, actually, about uh, about Dermasota guy. Sorry to pile on a jockey there, Zoe. <laughs> oh no, no, that, that's fine. But perhaps he learned, or you know, perhaps he might have learned something. I want to give a quick uh, shout out, Jerry O'Dwyer and Sibelius, and an excellent ride by Ryan Moore in the Dubai Golden Shaheen, bringing one back to the U.S. And then, what about Lord North? Three oh, Dubai Turfs. Three. I mean, that's simply amazing. So it, it really was a fantastic day of racing or evening or morning, wherever you are in the world. Yeah, an important weekend of racing in both the U.S. and in the UAE. The TDM Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Mark your calendars for the April Selected Horses of Racing Age sale on Sunday, April 30th. That'll be kicking off Derby Week in the Bluegrass. Entry deadline for the print catalog is April the 3rd. Approved supplements will be accepted right up until sale day. We'll be right back after these messages from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say, this is racing. This beating heart in the heart of horse country. Steady and strong beneath the roar. Reminding us why, for the love of the horse, for generations to come. He was just put together like a machine and he had a great mind. Everything about him was what you'd want. Tis the law, pops the cork in the champagne. Tis the law is going to win the first leg of the Triple Crown. I've never seen him get tired. Respect the law, tis the law. His structure is just perfect. His bone is perfect. He's left the others behind. He's going to win the run, Happy Travers. He's everything you would look for in a horse. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Coolmore. Last week, we talked about how hot the Coolmore sire Munnings was. And that hot streak continued this week when Money's Gold romped to a 17 and a quarter length victory in the sophomore Philly Stakes at Tampa. Money's Gold is undefeated in three lifetime starts, which she won by a combined 38 lengths. Her 106 buyer speed figure was the fastest by any three-year-old male or female this year. And Uncle Mo continues to make noise with his three-year-olds. Kings Barnes is derby bound after his win in the Grade 2 Louisiana Derby on Saturday. Kings Barnes is the third Coolmore connected horse in the last four years to win the Louisiana Derby alongside Epicenter, who's now standing at Coolmore, as well as looking at Lucky's winning Wells Bayou. 
Well, conspicuously absent last week, and boy, did we miss you, Zoe. It's just not the same without you. But Randy and I, we we did the heavy lifting. We got it done. But you weren't here for the uh, podcast last week because you were going back and forth to the Ocala sale, the Ocala Mart sale. And it's always an exciting time because it's the first sale of two-year-olds for the year. It's the first major sale uh, of on the calendar. And, you know, you find out who are the hot sires, who are going to be the hot freshman sires. No surprise, Amr Zidane did it again. He paid $2 million for Good Magic Colt, who uh, perhaps we'll be talking about at this time next year under uh, the trainer Bob Baffert as a possible contender for the Kentucky Derby. But Zoe, uh, excuse me, Zoe, what were some of your takeaways from the sale? Well, the Good Magic Colt was awesome. He worked nine and three. And I mean, the takeaways were they had a new track there, which is Michael Dickinson's Tapita racetrack, which I can fully attest is probably one of the best, safest racetracks in the world because we all know how anal Michael is and he wants everything to be absolutely perfect. So he had his man, Miguel, on hand to kind of tinker with the track along with a couple of other people. There were a few complaints on the second day because it was supposed to be really cold and they dug the harrows in a bit. I thought it was a great track. I thought it was a fair track. We did have to deal with some headwinds. Uh, it seemed like a lot of the horses came out of the works well, even though we did see a nine and three by the Good Magic, several nine and fours and a lot of 10 flats. Um, that that horse will be going to Bob Baffert, the Good Mag- Magic Colton. And who would have thought? Basically two blank dams and you're paying $2 million for a horse. It's it's almost insane when you delve into that pedigree, but he was an outstanding individual, sold once more by top line. One of the takeouts I took was no surprise the Matolis worked well and sold well. They are quick, they are agile, and um, we actually bought one. I help a good friend of mine, Moret Farrell, and we bought a Matoli filly that'll come out here to Peter Erton off of Nick Demerick. So we got one of those. Uh, the Vino Rossos actually were surprisingly precocious, coming in all shapes and sizes. Obviously, the Uncle Moe's, um, you know, the, the stallions that have been around for a long time, the Curlins all sold very, very well indeed. So on the whole, it was a good sale. They sold 490 horses. I think the median stayed the same at 75,000, which is always good to see. But it was tough to buy on the top end. It was really hard to buy again. Everyone's on the same horses time and time again. And a few will fall through the cracks. So, I mean, there were spaces. And we look forward to going back in April and doing it all again. All right. Well, maybe those Ocala horses will be in next year's Arkansas Derby. Uh, another big weekend of racing as we get this time of year with the Derby preps. And uh, we're going to talk next about Oakland and the Arkansas Derby. And then, of course, the other one is the uh, Florida Derby at Gulfstream Park. Um the Arkansas Derby is a deep race. It's got some nice horses. There's, I don't think there's any stars in here. Um, you know, will the winner of the Kentucky Derby come out of this? Well, that's something we can't really answer until after Saturday. But there's some, you know, some basically some good, solid horses in here. Angel of Empire will be ridden by Flavian Pratt, who rode Kings Barnes uh, last week in the Louisiana Derby. Uh, Angel of Empire won the Risen Star for Brad Cox. He comes back in there. I like Rocket Can. Uh, I still liked his holy bull, even though he didn't get much of a figure because he was wide the whole way around. And, hey, he was second best behind Forte in the uh, Fountain of Youth. What's wrong with that? Reincarnate is the other one that's going to take some money, no doubt. Um, He was third, beaten two and a half lengths in the Rebel behind Confidence Game and Red Route 1, who also comes back in this race. But he had a bad trip. He had a lot of traffic problems in the stretch. I don't think it cost him the victory, but he probably would have been closer. 
Randy, what's your thoughts? What are your thoughts about the Arkansas Derby? Well, you know, among the big four in this race, Angel of Empire already has enough points to make it into the Kentucky Derby uh, by virtue of his Risen Star win. He's got 54 points right now. Rocket Can already has enough points, almost certainly, uh, off of his Holy Bull win. He's got 40 points and his runner-up finish in the Fountain of Youth. Red Route 1 probably already has enough points. He has 33, although he may need a few more. We'll see. But I think if you just look at their most recent races, to me, Reincarnate kind of jumps off the page. Uh, given all the trouble that he had in the sloppy Rebel Stakes at Oakland Park last time out, he was a horse that was expected to be up near the lead. Uh, it's a head scratcher. Why he was as far back as he was, I don't think even Johnny Velasquez really uh, completely understands it. He thought he was shuffled back just a little bit, but the horse seemed to break okay. Uh, it just didn't show any speed for whatever reason. Uh, yet he had all kinds of traffic trouble, took all kinds of mud in his face, and still um, arguably might have been the best horse in there, all things considered. So I'm expecting him to show speed again. We'll see. Uh, but just based on that race only, I think Reincarnate is definitely the worst to beat. I mean, I share your uh, opinion about Rocket Can. I kind of wonder if uh, the owner's from Arkansas, so that's why he's running at Oakland. But I kind of wonder if um, after seeing the post position draw in the Florida Derby with Forte getting post number 11, if maybe Frank Fletcher and Bill Mott might be second-guessing <laughs> their decision to, uh, to run in Arkansas instead of trying Forte once again. Uh but yeah, I think it's a you know I think it's 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 a good race. Uh, Red Route One is interesting to me that uh, you know he's going to obviously relish added distance from a mile and a sixteenth to a mile and an eighth with his running style. And Steve Asmussen is putting blinkers on him here. I don't I, you know the goal clearly is to get him a little bit more into the race early without taking away any of his stretch kick. It's kind of a fine line they're walking there. But uh, Zoe, he's been taking himself so far back in the early part of his races and, and finishing up so well that even keeping him a little bit closer is going to be a help. I mean, you'd think it would help. Um, I actually just checked the weather report because it's a Saturday on the road to the Derby. So I, I'm just assuming it's going to be pissing down with rain. Uh, that's apparently the Friday, 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms on Friday. Saturday, it's supposed to be sunny, which means it will rain and red root run. Red Route 1 loves the slop. So we'll see what happens with him. Um, obviously, he, they want him to be further forward. You've got Gaffleone, who is very much an in-the-bridle up-front rider with the blinkers on for Red Route run, 1. I think the reincarnate's going to be the wise guy horse and take a lot of money if he doesn't go off the favorite. And then Rocket Can, you mentioned him. There's one more horse I wanted to mention. He's Gelding. And visually, he ran very, very well in a lounge race on the 19th of February. His name is Two Eagles River, a three-year-old gelding by cloud computing. I think there's a lot of upside in this horse. And they got nothing to lose and everything to gain. I think it's going to be a pretty hot pace up front, and he's going to be right on it. I, I don't think he's going to have distance limitations either. Saturday card at Oakland also uh, includes the Fantasy Stakes, a prep for the Kentucky Oaks wet paint from the Brad Cox barn looks like the likely favorite in there. Now our weekly segment, First Things First with Zoe Cat. A 
Santa Anita was celebrating 40 years of the TRF. I'm gonna go and find some ladies to tell me all about it. We currently have over 425 retired thoroughbred racehorses in our care at 15 farms in eight states across the country. Eight of those facilities feature our flagship program, Second Chances, where incarcerated individuals get to care and take for these thoroughbreds every single day. You look like you love doing this. I love doing this. I love off-track thoroughbreds so much, and it's wonderful getting to share how wonderful they are and how valuable they are and how they deserve a second chance after they're retired from racing. So you work at the prison. Tell me about it. The inmates actually take a college course to learn how to take care of the horses. And by doing this, they're actually learning a skill so when they parole, they are able to work in the horse industry. That's so cool. I was kind of skeptical because it's inmates and I'd been in law enforcement. But when I saw the connection between the horses and the inmates, it was amazing. And then I did a trip to Pleasant Valley State Prison, same thing. And I'm like, I got to do this. I mean, I can see where these horses can save these men or women. And this is a picture that one of them has done that's being auctioned, auctioned off today at Santa Anita? Yes. That's beautiful. just expand a little bit on the relationship with Santa Anita and the TRF? Well, first of all, I think just want to thank them for all their hard work and thoroughbred aftercare and then also say congratulations on 40 years. That's pretty amazing that they've been around 40 years doing great work, not only with horses that come from Santa Anita, but all over the country. weekend at Santa Anita as we continue the first racing tour. We do have post time at 1pm as well as the Santa Anita Carnival this weekend. Plus next weekend we have the Grade 1 Santa Anita Derby and the Grade 1 5K. Get your running shoes on guys. This week's Lanes In Stallion of the Week is Connect and he is rolling in 2023. His black type winners include three-year-old Philly, the Alice Look, who will run next in the Kentucky Oaks, and three-year-old Colt, Hayes Strike. You can look for him next weekend in the Bluegrass Stakes at Keeneland. And just last weekend, Connect had another new stakes winner, No Silver Spoon here, who took the Chantel Lannery Memorial Stakes at the fairgrounds this week. Connect is now the number two third crop sire by year-to-date stakes winners. He's one of the best sons of leading sire Curlin, and Connect stands for $25,000 at Lane's Inn Farm. And Randy, how about that race? The Chantel Lannery Memorial Stakes, she passed from breast cancer about five years ago now. The last race on the last day of the fairgrounds meet was won by No Silver Spoon here, ridden by her husband, Corey Lannery. Beautiful way to end the fairgrounds meet. Connect, the next in line to carry on Lane's End's tried and true stallion tradition. A grade one winning millionaire son of Curlin, physically impressive and dominant on the track. Winner of the grade one cigar mile and the grade two Pennsylvania Derby, where he defeated Gunrunner, Nyquist and Exaggerator. With multiple six-figure yearlings in his first crop, up to $360,000. Connect, a proven winner on the track, a proven stallion in the making. What makes Woodford special is the attention to detail 
everyone on the team is doing their job. They're well qualified. They show up to work and they work hard and they care about the horse. And I think that's a reflection on uh, John Gleason's program. He gives me good information. He always has, uh, he has a very good understanding of the horse's well-being, where they're at physically and mentally. In equine nutrition, there's a triangle: management, genetics, and nutrition. And John's criteria to accomplish that is at the highest pinnacle. I started breaking quarter horses for people when I was 15. You know, people send me quarter horses to break. And that's all I've done. You know, I don't hunt, I don't fish. I focus on training horses. I think about training horses on eating dinner, laying in bed before you go to sleep. And if you roll over in the middle of the night, I think about a horse. And it's, you know, it's all consuming. And I think to be successful, it has to be. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Woodford Thoroughbreds, a thousand acre world-class facility in Reddick, Florida, breeding and selling their own stock, as well as offering breaking and training services to outside clients. Discover the Woodford Edge. It was a big weekend on the worldwide stage for Woodford Thoroughbreds when Isolate provided one of the few bright spots for Americans in the Dubai World Cup card. Bred by Woodford and sold as a short yearling, Isolate won the $1 million grade two Godolphin mile to earn his first group stakes race, giving Woodford their first graded stakes race of the year. And on Saturday, the Woodford bred Rocket Can, winner of the Holy Bull Stakes, was most recently second to Forte in the grade two Fountain of Youth. He will make his next start towards the Kentucky Derby with a start in the grade one Arkansas Derby at Oaklawn. Rocket Can is currently listed at number nine on TD Thornton's Kentucky Derby Top 12. And now it's time for the Fastest Horse of the Week, brought to you by the Fast Stallions at Windstar Farm. This week's spotlighted sire had his first yearlings this year and bred 329 mares in his first two seasons. More on that stallion later. First, the Fastest Horse of the Week. Last week saw seven races equal or top 100 on the buyer speed figure scale, including Money's Gold, who ran a 106, the fastest fig by a three-year-old of either sex so far this year. But topping the list is West Willpower and his 109 buyer for winning the Fairgrounds Classic by four and three-quarters lengths over Pegasus World Cup winning Art Collector. West Willpower is a son of Bernardini. Owned and bred by Gary and Mary West, trained by Brad Cox. And with that win, he is now over $1 million in career earnings. Now, for that fast sire at Windstar. Improbable has it all. He was precocious, three for three as a two-year-old, including wins in the street sense and the grade one cash call futurity by a combined 12 and a quarter lengths. As a three-year-old, he was second in the Rebel in the Arkansas Derby, beating just three lengths in the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness and of course, as a four-year-old, second in the Breeders' Cup Classic and the Eclipse Award-winning champion, older male. Finishing his career with buyer speed figures, by the way, of 108, 108, 106, and 105. And improbable stands at Windstar for a bargain fee of $25,000. The Green Group is an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry with over 500 clients in the horse business and proven strategies to save you taxes. You can learn more at www.greenco.com. And welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week, Hall of Fame trainer Todd Pletcher off a big weekend 
where he won the Louisiana Derby with Kings Barnes. Todd, we brought you on primarily to talk about your three-year-old Colts, but I want to start off the conversation with the buzz horse of the week. Money's Gold was fantastic Sunday at Tampa Bay Downs. Took everybody's breath away. Won by 17 lengths and change, 106 buyer figure, and broke the track record. Tell us a little bit more about her talent. And also, I'm curious why you're developing her as a sprinter and didn't make any attempt or didn't appear to make any attempt to get her ready for the Kentucky Oaks. Well, she had that spectacular debut at Monmouth where uh, I think it was a 101 buyer figure ran super fast. She's She's got a ton of natural speed. Um, we came down here with the intention actually of running in the old hat, which was a race that did not fill. So we ended up going into a Florida bread allowance race, which she, she ran very well in. And then we planned on running back in the any limit stakes at Gulfstream, which didn't fill. So that's why we ended up at, at Tampa. Um, the reason we haven't tried stretching her out is, is she's a pretty headstrong filly. She's uh She's that way in the morning. She's she's overly willing, I guess would be a kind way to, to say it. So we've been just trying to work on getting her to calm down, getting her to relax and kind of ration out the speed. And, you know, we thought that she did a pretty good job of that in the race at Tampa, even though they were they were going right along, 21 and change, 44 and change. She at least kind of let horse outside of her, put a head in front and maintained her composure and so we're just working on that. I think she's she's a filly with enormous talent. If we can just kind of get her to ration it out um, as we go along, so we felt like we were a little behind schedule to try to get her stretched out to a mile and eight for the Oaks and the first Friday in May. So we're just kind of hopefully steadily developing her, and as she learns to settle a little more, hopefully she'll be able to carry that speed even a little further. Well, that 106 buyer speed figure is the fastest by a three-year-old of either sex so far this year. But before we spin ahead and get to the uh, touchy subject of post position in the Florida Derby, let's go back and talk about the Louisiana Derby and Kings Barnes. The way Flavian Pratt rode him out of the gate, I, I think it's I think we know the answer to this question. But what were the instructions to Flavian going into that race? And what are your thoughts on uh, on his performance in just the third lifetime start? Well, we were delighted with the performance to to do that in his third third lifetime start was you know a significant accomplishment. Um, Flavian and I spoke about the race. You know, wanted to make sure we were kind of seeing the pace scenario the same way. We both agreed didn't appear to be a lot of pace on paper. Uh, we felt like we would come out running, try to establish some position, and we felt like the horse was versatile enough that if he made made the lead the right way, we were fine with that. And if someone else was ambitious and wanted to take it, then we could put ourselves in a good stalking position. I thought going to the first turn, it looked like for a moment there that Florentiru might take the initiative to go ahead and go and then kind of hit the elbow of the turn and we were linked in front and you know, it was pretty much all good from there. Yeah, Todd, he was super, super impressive. In fact, I actually ran into uh, Flavian and his wife last night in a restaurant. And I said, hey, what about that King's Barnes? And he was super excited and basically was just explaining what kind of gears he had. He said, I just pressed on the pedal and he just took off. Did, did that surprise you, the gears that he did have? Yeah, you know what? I, I was really impressed with his debut, and I know it wasn't maybe a real flashy figure, and time didn't blow everyone away. But if you look back at that race, first of all, it's it's difficult to win debuting at a at a mile, 
And the way he did it, sitting behind horses and sort of waiting for a seam and finally getting a little opening at the top of the stretch and kind of having to push his way through there. For for a horse making his first start, I thought he was very, very professional and, and kind of wise beyond his experience for for that. So I was impressed with that. The Tampa race was kind of an oddly run race, but we were just looking to get some two-turn experience and get another race into him. And I think that that helped out. Uh, but yeah, like Flavian said, I, I felt like he was traveling really well all the way down the backside. Then you could see when he went to his left lead in the, in the far turn, he's far turn, he kind of surged again. And that's when I started to get excited that uh, he had plenty of horse left. Does he get to keep the mount? Uh, I mean, you've got various horses and various jockeys. It seems like, you know, it, I mean, I never want to assume anything, Todd. No, I would hope so. I mean, I, yeah. I guess the question is, is he going to win on someone else and still want to <laughs> ride him? So, uh, yeah, we'll, but no, Flavian uh, rode him terrifically and, and uh, we know he's a world-class rider, so we're happy to have him. Todd, now he didn't debut until January 14th, so uh, you haven't had a long time to get him ready uh, to push him into a race like the Louisiana Derby and then the Kentucky Derby. Um, why was he a little bit late and um, has it been a little bit difficult playing catch-up? So it, it, everything has gone seamlessly since we, we got him in, but we didn't get him in until late. I know that Spinthrift purchased him out of the, the Gulfstream two-year-old training cell. I think he had like a quarter-mile breeze in 20 and 3 and showed a lot of talent there. Um, and Ned Toffee and the Spinthrift guys got him back to the farm. And just like a lot of the, a lot of the horses that go through the two-year-old cells, they just sometimes need some, some time off. So I don't think he had any specific issues other than, than, you know, just the wear and tear from, from going through a, a two-year-old training sale and the preparation for that. So they did the right thing, kind of freshened him up. And since he came into us, it's, he's been a very straightforward horse, very professional and, um, you know, has caught on to everything w without issue. So looking ahead now to this weekend, you've, Obviously, got the heavy favorite Forte, the uh, the leading three year old in America by anyone's standards, uh, headed to the Florida Derby, and then comes the post position draw at Gulfstream Park with the short run into the first turn, and you get post eleven in what was a surprisingly large twelve horse field. We've heard Danny Gargan, who has WNL in there outside of you, uh, be ex extremely vocal and direct in his comments about so many horses entering in the race that seemingly had no chance. What, I think I know what the answer to this is going to be, but I have to ask it. I mean, even with such a heavy favorite, how concerned are you uh, about that post position draw? Yeah. I mean, there's no bones about it. I don't, I don't like it. It wasn't, wouldn't have been one of my first five choices, you know, but Look, I, I know, I think I read the other day that since 2006, post 11 is two for 48 uh, at Gulfstream going a mile and eight. And, you know, the one thing I will say, I, I, you'd have to go back and look at all 48 horses who broke from that from that post. But I, I would doubt that too many of them have the credentials that Forte does. Is this a stressful time of year for you, Todd? Every morning when you wake up, do you pray you're going to go to the barn and everything is okay? I mean, is this possibly the worst time of year for you or is it the best time of year? Are you thriving on this? It's it's both. You know, you, you feel very blessed to be in that position and you hold your breath every second of every moment of every day. And every morning when you come in, you hope uh, 
everything's the way it was when you when you left there in the afternoon the the day before. So, um, yeah, especially when you have horses doing as well as Forte and Tapatrice and Kings Barnes are right now. You you wish you wish the Kentucky Derby was was this Saturday, not not the Florida Derby. Are they easy horses to train? Those three? I mean, would they be just your regular run of the mill or do any of them have any particular tendencies that need a little bit more attention? No, I, I tell you what, it's a it's a really, really good group to train, very straightforward. They're they're willing without being overzealous and and uh you know, all three have really good dispositions, good minds, and uh you know, we've been working on Focusing on hopefully getting Tapatrice to come out of the gate a little better, and, and uh, you know, but at the same time, understanding his running style and not trying to <clears throat> not trying to reinvent the wheel either. Todd, with any of your three-year-olds, be it Forte or Kings Barnes, um, you have two objectives: you want to win the Fountain of Youth, you want to win the Florida Derby, you want to Louisiana Derby, but you don't want to leave their best race behind them. You want them to peak in the Kentucky Derby. Can you take us through, you know, how you handle that and what's the perfect progression for a horse this time of year from the preps to the Derby? Well, you know, so much of it's about the spacing really. And and when we looked at coming back in the fountain of youth, we felt like that was sort of perfect timing to see if he took that race. Well, we had the option of coming back in the grade one Florida Derby and getting five weeks on the other end to the Kentucky Derby. Or if we felt like we needed an extra week, then Keeneland Bluegrass, also a grade one, was also you know a good alternative. We felt like we needed the extra week uh, on this side. But the horse, Forte, took the Fountain of Youth so well. I thought it was the perfect comeback. He ran fast enough to show you that he's developed, but didn't, didn't have to run too fast. Um, so it was, it was really the perfect prep, and we've had two really nice works since then. So knock on wood, everything is, is seriously gone exactly like we had hoped it would uh, when we laid out the, the game plan. So back to the Florida Derby, you mentioned the brutal post position stats. Uh, Gulfstream sort of made its own bed almost 20 years ago when uh, when Frank Stronach chose to make the track, the dirt track, a mile and an eighth in circumference instead of the original one mile, and also their desire to keep the Florida Derby at the mile and one-eighth distance. That creates a very short run into the first turn, even with the lengthened run-up. The only things I can see that they could do differently would be either to lengthen the Florida Derby to a mile and three-sixteenths, or maybe to limit the Florida Derby field to, say, 10 starters. Would you be in favor of either of those things, or is this just one of those situations where, you know, hey, it's horse racing, you just take your lumps when it happens. Well, I think, I think if you could go back 20 years and they, they actually did ask me when they were looking at the blueprints on really? what, what do you think of a mile or an eighth track? And I said, you know, I don't care for it at all. I think it, it compromises your, your, uh, you know, your race and potentially could compromise, you know, anyone who draws an outside post. Wow. And I also told them that I, didn't care for their paddock design. So I, I, I was over two in both of my recommendations. Um, but no, I, it, it's concerning, not just for this race, not just because we drew the 11 hole. I've, I've always felt it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not really a fair race to everyone. 
And we go back to the first Pegasus when California Chrome drew, drew outside. And, you know, so you just hate to see the two most significant races of the meet, the Pegasus and the Florida Derby potentially affected by post position. And so that, that's my concern. And as, as far as extending it to a mile and three sixteenths, I think some years you might, you might want to do that. And then another year you might be playing catch up with one and, and you wouldn't want to do that. So, you know, that, that's just from time to time, but I, I know that that's something they've considered. And I, I thought, you know, for the Pegasus, that would be, you know, a good option as well. But again, Sometimes you're maybe going to have a miler that's going to try to stretch out on the Pegasus at a mile and eighth. And if it's a mile and three sixteenths, they might opt not to. So every year is going to be a little bit different in terms of which, which horses you have. Yeah. And now, and now that seemingly every owner with a three-year-old that has a pulse wants to try to get him into the Kentucky Derby, you're probably going to have a lot more of these situations with big fields and horses that look like on paper, they don't belong. Yeah, that, I mean, that seems to be the trend. And, you know, at the same time, look, everyone puts up their money and deserves a shot. We're going to we're going to run a couple maidens in the Wood Memorial the following week. So <laughs> I can't uh, I can't blame someone else for doing the same thing. Who are you running? We're going to run. Well, we're going to run three. We're going to run Classic Catch coming off an allowance win at Gulfstream. And then we're going to Dreamlight, who was second in a pretty fast maiden race. Number wise stacks up pretty well. And then we're going to run our professional maiden croupie who <laughs> always kind of keeps sucking up for a placing. He keeps good company in the morning. Forte. He does. I mean, perhaps it's rubbing off on him finally. I'm hoping. <laughs> um, Tom, before we let you go, what about your fillies running this weekend in the Florida Oaks? You have Miracle who seemed to just, she just tries so damn hard every time she runs and then atomically. Yeah, I was really pleased with uh, Miracle's race at the fairgrounds. And, and uh, we kind of kicked around the idea of going back, but we felt like with the opportunity to stay home and not have to ship to New Orleans twice, would maybe put her in a better position if she's uh, able to do well here. Very straightforward Philly to train. Trains trains really well. I've been uh, been pleased with her. And, you know, atomically was able to win Florida Stallion race uh, going a mile 16th at Gulfstream. So we're hoping – Getting her back around two turns at Gulfstream, she'll she'll take a step forward. Todd, also on the three-year-old male ranks, um, you had a good performance from Major Dude and the Jeff Ruby. Earned enough points to get into the Kentucky Derby, but from what I've read, that's not the plan. Um, tell us about uh, what the future plans are for him. And most people, if they got the points, they go. I, I mean, there's they don't ask any questions. Um, why did you and the connections, the Spencer, decide that maybe that's not the best place for him for his next start? I'm, I'm not 100% sure that we've, we've decided that. Um, the horse ran well. He came out of it in good order. He's always trained well on all surfaces. Um, they have they have a, a nice three-year-old turf race there that day, the American turf, same day as the Derby. So, you know, I think the plan is going to be to take him to Churchill and, and see how he trains. If he were to somehow, you know, just act like he loves the main track at Churchill, I think we could, you know, still keep that under consideration. But Right now, we're just kind of taking a wait-and-see approach. So I know you're a student of the sport, and you're very analytical, and I would love to get your opinion on this. Uh, maybe you didn't have time to pay any attention, but we'll see. As impressive, <laughs> okay, as impressive as King as Kings Barnes was in the Florida Derby, Derma Soto Gake, 
in the UAE Derby. We don't have speed figures on it, but he actually ran a faster number, whatever it is, than the Dubai World Cup winner. What are your thoughts on those Japanese horses coming over to the Kentucky Derby and the way Japanese horses in general have been performing on dirt around the world? Uh, I thought it was a it was a very impressive performance, and and I think the track might have been a little bit speed fair. I didn't get to watch the whole card, but um, you know he seemed to come to the wire with his with all four legs well underneath him, and uh, I thought it was a you know very impressive performance. And like you said, I mean the the Japanese horses have just been performing phenomenally everywhere. The, the horse that won the was the Shima Classic, the mile and a half turf race. That was, Oof. I mean, that was as good as you'll ever see any horse run. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm concerned. I think uh, you know they're certainly improving by leaps and bounds in the way that their horses are performing globally. And you know they've kind of had some horses come over and, and run sneaky good already, and it seems like they've gotten better since then. So. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was impressed. Well, a lot's going to be said about the past record of the UAE Derby horses coming over to the Kentucky Derby and how dismal it's been. Does that matter to you when you're looking at Derma Sotagake and trying to analyze how he might run in, uh, in Louisville? I, I hope it stays that way. <laughs> um, yeah, and I know you know Mendelssohn had that phenomenal performance there, and then you know didn't didn't get away well here, and was kind of taken out of his game. So, look, I think I think it's possible to to use the UAE Derby as a successful prep. I think I, I wouldn't think it would happen in a scenario where you went from America to Dubai and then back. But you know, I think someone you know, kind of coming at it from a different angle could could potentially be successful. We thank Todd Pletcher for his time and insights on the road to the Kentucky Derby. A lot going on, as always, in the Todd Pletcher barn this time of year. Thanks, Todd, and good luck on the road to the Derby. Thank you. Our guest of the week, Todd Pletcher, will receive a free one-hour tax consultation from the Green Group, that accounting and tax consulting advisory firm that specializes in the thoroughbred industry. Again, Find out more about the Green Group at www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonderwheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Here in Pennsylvania, we're proud of our breeding program, the best in North America, but we're also proud to be leaders in this industry. The PA Horse Breeders Association is funding cutting edge research at Penn Vet to detect gene doping in thoroughbreds. And we endorsed the SAFE Act to help protect the most vulnerable horses. 
Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare programs set up by our horsemen's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association, the PHBA. Now, we are taping this podcast on Wednesday, March 29th. It's scheduled to hit your computers and your mobile devices on Thursday, March 30th. So this is actually pretty timely because Friday is the last day to nominate your two-year-olds to the Pennsylvania Sired Pennsylvania Bred $1 million Stallion Series for $500. The nominations must be postmarked by March 31st. You can nominate after that, but it's just going to cost you a little more. And while we're on the topics of Pennsylvania breads, Angel of Empire will run again on Saturday in the $1.25 million Arkansas Derby. Remember, Angel of Empire has already won this spring the Risen Star Stakes at the fairgrounds. For more information, visit www.pabread.com. Okay, one other big, and I mean big card to go over Florida Derby costume. Randy, now, this is not a trick question because we did this last week. Uh-oh. When are you on? You're, you're and, <laughs> come on, you can do this. You're going to ask me and, and which, net, which of the uh, NBC networks uh, is the show on? <laughs> you learned your lesson last week about asking, or I thought I'd learned my lesson about coming on here without knowing uh, exactly what network. We, we will fill in that blank at the end of the show. How about that? Okay, because like we, we definitely want our uh, people to watch the podcast tune in to uh, Randy Moss on Saturday. Uh, for let's see, the uh, post time for the Florida Derby is six forty. So I'm guessing you're on six to seven. But, six uh, to seven. We'll come on really quickly with the Appleton uh, mm-hmm. at a mile on the turf for older horses, and then segue right from there into the Florida Derby. So, anyways, all we were hearing leading up to the Florida Derby was nobody wants to run against Forte. There's going to be four or five horses in the race. It's going to be a cakewalk. Is it going to be too easy a race because he's not going to get anything out of it. Lo and behold, what happened here? 12 entered the field. And quite frankly, a lot of them are just don't belong. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to pick on anybody, but, you know, I wonder, I, I think this might be the rich strike effect, you know, just get into the Kentucky Derby, finish third, get in, be hundred to one. You've got a chance in here, but then the story, be, the twofold, number one, the amount of horses running in the race. And then the post position draw Forte got post 11. And that's a lousy post. It's a terrible post. That mile and eight starts right upon the term, uh, turn. The statistic is post 11, uh, mile and eight at Gulfstream, two for 49. But I'd like to point out that Big Brown, back in 2008, won this race from post 12. So if you have a good horse, it, it can obviously be done. When As soon as I heard the post, uh, saw the, that he, he drew post 11, I said, well, I got to try to beat this horse. I mean, he's going to be a big favorite. He's got post 11. But who the heck would you pick? To try to beat him. Not only are, are many of these horses ones that I've already said have no business running in this race, but the, the best horses, the best competitors probably are Fort Bragg. He drew post 10. And then WNL, who won the Remsen before running uh, Lousy and the Sam F. Davis, he drew post 12. So uh, on paper, the, the horses that are the main competition uh, didn't draw well either. Cyclone Mischief's got a chance. He's post 9. Um, so you know what? I'm just figuring that Irad Ortiz is going to figure it out. He's got the best horse by a mile. It's a very difficult post position. I'm not going to be enthu- I'm not going to go bet him enthusiastically at three to five from post eleven. But Randy, 
who the hell can beat this horse? That's my question. <laughs> I like the Big Brown reference. How about the Daily Double of Big Brown winning the Florida Derby from post 12 and then the Kentucky Derby from post 20? Uh, look, <laughs> all, all the leading contenders, uh, the, the four top contenders on paper, are at post 9 through 12. Cyclone Mischief in post 9, Fort Bragg post 10, Forte post 11, and then WNL in post 12. Uh, courtesy of our friends at Equibase, I went back all the way to the reconfiguration of the Gulfstream Park track to a mile and an eighth in 2006. And horses breaking from the outside four post positions are 14 for 290. That's only 4.8%. You're three times more likely statistically to win breaking from post one through four than from post nine through 12. And nine, Cyclone Mischief, actually has the worst win percentage of all the post positions at just 2%. Look, if you were inclined to try to beat Forte because of post position, I can understand that. Uh, I agree with you that he'll probably win anyway, but I got one word for you. Mage. Okay. Uh, Mage ran against Forte in the Fountain of Youth, finished fourth. He was beaten at six and three quarters length. So you're saying, how the heck can you expect Mage to make up six and three quarters length? But if you go back and watch that race, you get a chance to go to YouTube or if you, you subscribe to one of the services where you can watch replays, watch the head-on replay of Mage coming out of the gate as he breaks into the side of the gate. He's in the back of the pack going into the first turn. It's taken to the far outside where he's four to five wide all the way around the first turn. I wouldn't say rushing back up into contention, but he definitely moves up aggressively into contention and still hanging in there at about the 316th pole or the eighth pole before he finally weakens in the last eighth of a mile. With a better trip, uh, I think Mage is at least a couple of lengths better than, than he ran in the Fountain of Youth. And if you can say that, you know, Forte is going to be severely compromised by his post position, you can do a lot worse than Mage at what should be a pretty decent price. I mean, Cyclone, I say decent price, heck of a lot better price than Forte. Uh, Cyclone Mischief made a clear lead, which was the objective in the Fountain of Youth. There is speed inside of him on Saturday, uh, so I don't expect him to get a clear lead again, and I think that might uh, compromise his chances somewhat. So, I mean, other than that, who is there? I, I think Mage has got the best chance to spring the upset. The big surprise in here, just quickly, that you mentioned the 12-horse field, Safi Joseph went in with four horses, including a couple of maidens, I believe, or at least a couple that had just been running six furlongs, never further than six furlongs, and now running a mile and an eighth. Uh, Safi told us yesterday that uh, in three of those four instances, it was the owner who pushed the envelope, and, they're, and rightfully so, wanting to run uh, in the Florida Derby. And Safi told them, uh, that if the horse was training well and was doing well, uh, that, you know, he's not going to, they own the horse. So uh, he'll endorse it and go ahead and enter them and, and hope for the best. So that's what we've got with, and he intends to run all four of his entrants in the Florida Derby. It's going to be a mishmash in a really interesting race. I have no doubt whatsoever that Forte is the best horse in the race. You mentioned Big Brown breaking from the outside. I don't think they've had a horse as good as Forte on the outside. He's tactical. He's got speed. 
you know, he's not really going to get in trouble all the way out there unless W. Nell just breaks into him. Um, I, I'm not too worried about it for Forte. I think he can overcome a lot and he most definitely is the horse to beat. I mean, just he's five for six. How did he ever get beat in the first place? It's what I should have asked Todd Pletcher. But um, yeah, it's, it's his race to lose. Uh, one more, I think that a lot of people will be looking at and we mentioned SF Bloodstock and Tom Ryan, Fort Bragg. Now, Tom's been bullish on Fort Bragg from the get-go. And I'm thinking, God, he's just a horse. He's just this. By tap it out of March Express, they paid 700000 Interestingly enough, when you go back and look at his maiden win, which he was disqualified from, who won that on the DQ? Practical move, who's trained by Tim. And now Tim trains Fort Bragg. It just swings around about. Fort Bragg's a good horse, which is going to segue perfectly into the XBTV.com work of the week. It's Fort Bragg seen working here at Santa Anita in 59 and change, guys. And if you're worried about Fort Bragg, take a look at this work and the ease at which he is doing it. He is absolutely cruising. He will run in cheek pieces, which do not have to be notated in the program. So that's something to note. You can see him working here with the cheek pieces on. They kind of simulate little cheetah blinkers. And he looks absolutely terrific. Fort Bragg, XBTV.com, work of the week. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining West Point Thoroughbreds can literally launch you right into the winner's circle for a fraction of the cost of trying to do it on your own. Learn more at westpointtb.com. West Point had another successful week on the track this week with Apriati, who was sweeping through the stretch for an impressive win at Turfway Park on Saturday in her second career start. The three-year-old filly by City of Light made a smooth transition from grass to the Tapita track at Turfway. She's trained by Cherie DeVoe, who got her from Keeneland September. It really pays to go to Keeneland. It really does. And the Remy Bullock cartoon is in for this week. And uh, last week we had Lisa Lazarus, the CEO of Haiza on, and we talked about, boy, she's navigating a tightrope. And Remy captured that really well in this week's cartoon. So please check that out. Well, that's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank our Green Group guest of the week, Todd Fletcher. Of course, I want to thank Randy Moss and Zoe Cabin, my partners in crime on the podcast. Our producer, Patty Wolf, our associate producer, Katie Petruniak, and Randy's holding his finger up. CNBC. Okay. <laughs> I told you I would have it before the end of the show. Straight from the producer. There you go. All right. So where was I? All right. CNBC from six to seven, right? You got it. Okay. CNBC from six to seven with uh, Randy Moss. Okay. And we also want to thank our editors, Anthony LaRocca, Ali LaRocca, and Nathan Wilkinson. Again, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week here on the TDN Writers Room Podcast.